You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will that is what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they would be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Well, we are coming down the backside of Romans 9. This has been a challenge. At least it has for me. Um, but it's been really good. And I want to thank you for sticking with this difficult chapter so long. I mean, we, we've been in here for over a month. Um, and last week was sort of the climax of the really, really difficult ideas. And... Uh, this week we begin our descent down the backside of this mountain that we had worked so hard to climb. Um, this we've covered just huge subjects. You know, God's love being unstoppable. Nothing can separate you from God's love once He gives it to you. And then tackling the question of, well, then what about all these people, the Jews, who were His special chosen people who rejected Jesus, the clearest, purest expression of His love? Doesn't that? compromise this whole idea and we followed Paul's train of thought through his arguments and and that God's doing something bigger than just saving an ethnic group Israel the Jewish people he's doing something that flexes the muscles of his sovereignty his uh, authority and control over his creation he's saving some of the Israelites some of the Jews and we're going to learn today he's also saving some of the Gentiles which would be I'm pretty sure all of us who are not from a Jewish background um, but it's not based on ethnicity, and it's not based on who tries to do good and who tries to do bad. It has more to do with God and his purposes. Uh, it's been very mind-bending, but it has proven that God is glorious and God is God, and um, it's been really healthy for us and for me. So today, we kind of bring to, the, to a close his line of thinking. We're not closing out the chapter today. We're closing out his, his line of thinking with a meditation really on just one word, and that's the word call. C-A-L-L, call. Um, How many of you have a cell phone on you right now? How many of you right now are thinking, did I turn the ringer off? (laughs) 
How many of you have already used your cell phone to make calls or receive calls this morning before church even began? Not as many as I thought. All right. Well, we're familiar with the concept of calling. And today we're going to look at it. I'm going to frame it this way. From this passage that Marty read, we're going to frame it this way. We're going to look at the call, the called, and the calling. So that's how we're going to frame it. But before we get into it, we really need to pray and ask for God's help. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for your word and its power. Thank you for your call on our lives. You didn't have to do anything, uh, but you acted valiantly and heroically and sacrificially on behalf of your creation through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help me to convey this scripture clearly and plainly and that your Holy Spirit would help us to hear your voice in it and that we would be changed in real and dramatic ways for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, first we will look at the call itself, and I'm going to reread uh, verses 22 through 24 and look for the, the word call in here. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Now, we won't get back into all the mechanics of this difficult idea of God's sovereign work with vessels of wrath, vessels of mercy. We've spent a long time working through that. The sermon recaps are on the website, and you can talk to me about it anytime, and you can wrestle with it yourselves, but that's not our task today. Um, today, we're going to look at this idea of God's calling. And it really does sum up everything Paul has been talking about. Now, God's call is different from our call. When God calls someone, it's different from when I call someone. Now, when you use your cell phone or your phone to call somebody, you as the caller are at the mercy of the called. You're at their mercy if they're going to pick up. You're at their mercy if they're going to listen to your voicemail or call you back or respond. And you've been in that position before. Some of you are thinking, I've been in that position with you, Matt. You don't pick up. I've got uh, two friends that come to mind. One who has, um, well, I used to work for him, if that clues you into who I'm talking about. But uh, Great guy, super smart, incredibly funny, and very technologically with it, but completely off the grid in terms of if, you're, if you want to call him, you don't even try because he will not answer. And he will not listen to his voicemail. And he will not call back. And he has this military grade, some kind of cell phone that's in this, this case that is indestructible. It's not slim and sleek. It's like this big thing that you look, it looks like something that you could use in the military, in Afghanistan. And he spent a lot of money on it, I'm sure. And I'm sure he has the whole package. But at any rate, you are at his mercy if you try to call him. And he's not going to, it's not going to work. <laughs> I mean, it's, everybody knows. And I have another guy in mind who... Uh, has intentionally let his voicemail get full and refuses to erase any of them. So that not only will he not answer, but you can't leave him a message. It's not even possible. So our call is not very effective. Our call is completely dependent upon 
the response of the called, the callee, the recipient of the call. God's call is different. See, when God calls, he is not at the mercy of the recipient of the call. The recipient of the call is at the mercy of him, the caller. When he calls, it accomplishes things, regardless of the recipient. And that's what Paul has been arguing. It's regardless of the ethnicity of the recipient. It's regardless of the morality of the recipient. When God calls, it accomplishes things. And that's because, you know, our words say things. I'm, I'm always—words are my whole life. I mean, I'm always flinging words at you. It's like I have a Gatling gun up here. I'm just always saying words. But our words just say things. God's words do things. Do you see the difference between the two? Now, I know there's a sense in which our words do things. You know, we can create ideas and shape perception— in an abstract way, but in a more tangible way, God's word does things. It doesn't just communicate something. It does something. Now, to illustrate how impotent our words are, we don't have to go much further than just the, uh, the parental task. Any of you who have ever had young children know that your words don't necessarily accomplish things. Okay, your kid is running through the house with one end of the toilet paper and the other end still in the roll and just spreading it all through the house. And your words don't necessarily stop him in his tracks and um, not retrieve, retract that roll of toilet paper. You can say a lot to a kid and it doesn't necessarily change him. God's words, on the other hand, do you know how he created all this? He just spoke it into existence. With his word, with his words. And we know that, most of us, having been in Sunday school in Genesis 1 and 2, we have seen that, we're familiar with that. That God said, let there be, fill in the blank, and it just was. He said, let there be light, and there was light. You know, Thomas Edison, I forget how many hours and failures he had trying to make a light bulb. And he had a whole workshop. God just had, let it be, and it was. There's power when God says something beyond just the deep truth that he communicates. There's effective power. Things happen. We see this in Jesus' ministry when he tells somebody, he tells Lazarus, come out of there. And he's dead. And he just says, all right. <laughs> he just gets up because Jesus said something. So God's call does something. And Paul gets through this whole meditation. And then in verse 24, he says, Even us, whom he has called, and I think when he uses the word called, he's just kind of pointing back all the stuff I said. That's God calling the vessels of mercy. The big idea is you're not qualified to be a vessel of mercy. Your ethnicity and your morality didn't qualify you. The call qualified you. Now, if I need a computer programmer or something, I'm going to look for someone who is already qualified, and then I'll call them. See, God didn't look into the world to see who's qualified to be a Christian. I'll call them and get them on my team. He looked over the world and saw that no one was qualified. And and when he calls, the call qualifies you. So how does God call? Is there an audible voice? I've talked to people who've claimed to have heard an audible voice from God. And I'm not going to say it's impossible. I've never heard it. 
Well, we're going to, spoiler alert here, we're going to skip ahead. See, after this week, I'm taking a Romans break through Easter. Um, and then we're going to come back, cap off Romans 9. We're going to get into Romans 10, and we're going to read this passage. And, and look, as I read this passage in Romans 10, I'll start at verse 13, for how God calls. Paul writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him on whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And I could go on, but I'll stop there. See, we call on God after he calls on us. And how does God call on us? Did you catch it in that passage? He uses people to call people to himself. Paul says, how will people respond to the call if there aren't people running out transmitting the call? So regarding the call of God, you have to receive it and then you have to transmit it. And so the question we need to ask before we go on into this passage and look at more of the details of what Paul's saying, have you received a call, the call, from God? Have you received an interaction with God, a word from God, so powerful that it changed you? That it changed you from being a vessel of wrath to a vessel of mercy? That you went from being a recipient of really nothing from God to being a recipient of his mercy. I'm curious, if you have received that call, who did God work through to give it to you? I've told you my testimony, in a large part it was my mom and uh, various people through church. Have you received the call? And if so, are you transmitting the call to others? And we're going to circle back to this idea at the end. Who is God working through you, Christian, to call to himself? Because this is your function once you become a Christian. This is the whole discipleship idea we're always talking about. Who are you transmitting the call to? With words. You know, there's the idea out there that we preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. And I've said that, and I've subscribed to that idea. But more recently, as I realized the importance of words related to the gospel, I don't think it's possible to communicate the gospel without words, really. It's the words, the understanding of what Jesus did specifically on the cross that requires words that is the gospel. So who are you talking to about Jesus? Because there's more power in those conversations than just your ability to explain things. It's the power of God's call. So that's the call Let's look at the called. Who are the called? Let's read verses 24 through 29. So all Paul's complicated thinking, and then he says, all this is for even us, in verse 24, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in every place where it is said to them, you are not my people. There they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. 
For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Okay, so who are the called, according to Paul, in his line of thinking? We'll work backwards through the passage. Well, first, he says, some Jews. This would have been a surprise, historically, to the Jewish people. They thought it was just being Jewish that made you acceptable to God. But God said, no, even Isaiah prophesied it was always going to only be a remnant. And if it wasn't for my work in this remnant, you would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? That was the two cities that God rained down fire from heaven to destroy because of their wickedness. That would have been the fate of all of Israel if it weren't for God's intervention. They needed the call of God. So some Jews, and here's another surprise to them, some Gentiles, they thought it was all Jews and they thought it was only Jews. But as the mystery became revealed after Christ, it was, no, not all Jews, some Jews. And no, not only Jews, also some Gentiles. Which is great news for us, because that's us. Now, I, know, I know eyes glaze over when I get to like historical stuff, but this is our history. If it wasn't for this, we would be Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire would be raining down on us. But praise God for these verses that he quotes. So some Jews, some Gentiles... And I like how he begins it in verse 24. Even us, even us whom he has called. It's important to take all this from the theologically abstract to real life. This is all true in reality and big scale like theology. But it's also true here for us that God works this way. This idea of God's sovereignty and his calling some to him. This is reality now. It was reality then, in the first century, and this is the reality that we live in now. You know, a fish swims in water. We live in God's sovereignty. So for you, right now, in your whole situation, your whole complicated situation, which I know for each of you, it looks different. For you now, this is how God works. He is sovereign. He is on the throne. What you need is God's effective word in your life. Now, just like back then in Rome, we need it here in Charlotte. Even us. Now, I know this idea of calling is still kind of abstract. So, we talked about the call and the called. Let's talk about the calling itself. Listen again to verses 24 through 26. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. I don't, I don't know if you've read Hosea, Hosea is a really interesting book. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. It's a smaller prophetic book. It gets its name from the man who wrote it, a prophet named Hosea. So usually God would speak to his prophet. If you were a prophet, if uh, Andrew, if Andrew was a prophet, just for an example, God would come to Andrew and say, Andrew, 
here's something true. You tell that to everybody. And that's what, how a prophet worked. Okay, now in this case, God came to Hosea and he said, I want you to go. I want you to marry a promiscuous woman. She may have been a prostitute. And I want you to have children by her. And that marriage and those kids were the communication of what God wanted that prophet to, to tell Israel. See, Israel was being the promiscuous wife to God. Israel was running around worshiping other gods, leaving her first love of God the Father, the one true living God. So that's the situation in Hosea. We lose some of the punch by the way it's, it's given in, this, in uh, chapter 9, when it says, Those who are not my people I will call my people, and her who is not beloved I will call beloved. Those were the names of these children. God instructed Hosea to name the kids. He named one of them no mercy. In other words, God will not have mercy on this child. He named the other one, make sure I get it correct, not my people. Those are the kids' names. Not my people and no mercy. Now, I use my children as sermon illustrations all the time. Because I learned so much about God through them. But this takes it to a whole other level. These kids, this was their identity. My son's name is Elias. My daughter's name is Lillian. When Hosea came and introduced his kids, he said, this is not my people and this is no mercy. That was their given name. And it's an effective illustration. Because before the effective call of God through Jesus Christ, that is our identity just the same. It might as well be our name. Without Jesus. We're not God's people. And we aren't experiencing his mercy. So what is the calling? It's the calling from being completely identified as not God's person. Not experiencing his mercy. To being God's people. Receiving his mercy. There's a misconception that God looks down and he sees pretty decent people. And he gathers them to himself to get better. But he looks down and he sees people that are completely cut off from him. Have never tasted his mercy. And when he calls, it's a calling from that into his flock to be his children. So when you think about who might God call, don't think about the people who seem morally clean. It's probably not them. It's probably the addicts and the abusers and the sinners and the ones very far away from church, probably the ones that you think, I could never imagine them sitting with their tie on beside me. Basically, it's calling orphans to become children of the living God. I was talking with, I won't name who, because people are going to be afraid to talk to me anymore. But I was talking with some of you, and it was after one of the kind of difficult sermons in Romans 9 a couple of, we- a couple of uh, weeks ago. And the main thrust of the sermon was God is God. He has every right to do what he wants to do because he's God and he's big and he's more Godish than we would ever have thought. And they just said simply, you know, what really struck me in that sermon is that this God is our father. Now that we're in Christ, this God, the living God, is our father. That's what the calling accomplishes. It brings orphans into the household of God. Vulnerable, 
helpless orphans become children of the king. So, in closing this out, I have a couple of questions for you to think about. And don't answer out loud. First question, are you still an orphan? Are you, spiritually speaking, are you an orphan? Are you running around a child with no father, completely vulnerable, completely on your own? Are you a son of the living God, but living like an orphan? Is your father the one true living God, and yet you're living like an orphan, as though it's all up to you to fight and scramble for scraps? If you're in either of those positions, what you need is the call of God to change you. To change you from being an orphan to being a son. Or to change you from being a son who doesn't know how to live like a son to being a son who does. And the call is powerful. And you're like, well, what's it going to sound like? This is it (laughs) right now. He works through idiots like me. That's how awesome he is. So this might be it right now. This might be the call on you right now. You've done church for many, many years, but you're living like an orphan as though God is not your father. This might be the call to you right now to come to Jesus and say, I accept. Being a Christian is way less about what you begin to do than it is about what you begin to receive from God through Christ. So if that's you, we're going to sing a song in a minute. It's time to reflect. It's time for you to prayerfully come to God and just say, I don't, maybe I don't understand all this, but here I am. Or if you want to come and be prayed with or for, you can come grab me. And my last question, can you see the people around you for who they are? The people around you who don't have Christ. Can you see how they're spiritually orphans? Can you see how spiritually speaking they don't have the Father? Can you see that that's what they need? Pray for them during this time too. The gospel is incredible and unexpected. The essence of the gospel related to this passage is this. The one rightful son of the living God became forsaken so that the forsaken could become sons of the living God. That's really the gospel. That's really the whole culmination of what Paul's talking about. Jesus, the one true rightful son of the living God, became forsaken so that all the forsaken could become sons of the living God. Will you accept it? Have you accepted it? Will you offer it to other people? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for... Thank you for making those who are not your people, your people. Lord, help those in here who may have not received that call. Lord, I pray that you would call them now, that it would be effective, that they could not stand it, that they would come to you through Jesus Christ and just give it up. And for those in here who have been called, who are your sons, but who have drifted and are living like orphans, living as though it's on them, that they're on their own. Lord, call them back. Please mobilize all of us to go out and transmit this call to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.